All right. I want to invite you to come back to your seats. We're going to get started. I want to welcome you once again to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We're really glad that you're here this morning. We're continuing on in our series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians. Today we're going to be in chapter 3. If you want to follow along with us, we'll start in chapter 3, verse 1. Um, there's Bibles, so it should be under every other seat in here, most of the chairs. And if you um, don't have a Bible at home, please take one of those home. We'd love for you uh, to take that home and have a Bible at home. That's our gift to you. 1 Corinthians 3, um, verse 1. And 1 Corinthians is about three-fourths of the way back in um, the Bible, if you don't know where it's at. Chapter 3. This is God's word. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, And another, I follow Apollos. Are you not merely being human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and I ask as we walk through this this morning that we would uh, be open-minded, open-hearted to receive it, to allow your spirit to speak to us this morning, to allow us to be changed. I pray you would change us. I pray you would change your minds and our hearts, change the way we live as we leave this place. And more than anything, um, God, I pray that you are honored and glorified in our time today. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. So we've seen in this book, hopefully up until now, or even in the rest of the scriptures, that Paul loves um, the Christians in Corinth. He loves them. He's wrote this letter to him. He loves them. Um, these are his brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants what's best for them. He wants them to flourish. He wants them to have freedom and joy, which is why today, in this particular passage, we are going to see Paul pull, uh, pull no punches. He's going to hold nothing back in this passage. He is going to get after this church. I, I mentioned in the very first sermon um, of this series, in the introduction, that there are places in this book where Paul, it, it seems really hard on this church. He's hearing the stories. He's hearing what's happening in the church. They're not acting like followers of Jesus. Therefore, he's frustrated. He's a, he's a, he's a frustrated father and a pastor who loves them and wants what's best for them. And that comes out in his writing. And today is one of those occasions where he is going to challenge them. He's going to challenge them on how they're living. This is part of his love for them and wanting what's best for them. So here's what I want for us. I don't want us to move over this thinking, well, that's not really for me. 
Um, that's Paul talking to the Corinthians, because I think all of us have areas where we need to grow, right? If we were all just going to be honest, we have all, are, all have areas where we need to grow. So I want us to receive what Paul is saying to us this morning through the inspired word of God. But here's what I don't want this. I don't want this to turn into us heaping shame upon ourselves and feeling horrible about ourselves and feeling like that we're just not good enough when we leave this place. That's not what I want either. And if you're not a follower of Jesus in here, even though he's directing this to the church, I would just ask and pray that you would maybe ask yourselves as we walk through this and pretend Paul is somebody in your life that means a lot to you. And that they're challenging you on maybe an area or two of how you're living your life and how, and how you would receive it from someone who cares about you and wants what's best for you. Because I think that's what God wants for us. He wants us to experience freedom and joy. Okay? But we can't feel shame and, and, and just these, these uh, overwhelming feelings of guilt. Conviction's good from the Holy Spirit, but not guilt and shame. Because then we'll start to look like... This. Wait, slow down just a second. Go back to that first one. Yeah, okay. Okay, next. He's in the refrigerator, if you can't tell. Found his way in the refrigerator. Next. Who, me? Who did this? Next. It ramps up a little bit. This is called dog shaming. Go ahead. I sat on my brother and broke him. Yeah. Next. I know that's small. I locked myself in the bathroom to eat diapers, and then I let myself out. Yeah. Keep going. I eat bunny poop. Is that it? I think that's it. Okay. So this is dog shaming, right? So that, that I, I make light of this, but I, I really don't. Paul doesn't want us to feel shame this morning, but he wants us to listen. He wants us to hear what he's having to say to us. Because in the first few chapters of this book, the first couple of chapters of 1 Corinthians, um, he has highlighted the cross and the gospel and the wisdom of God. He's highlighted that. He's in a sense saying, you're divided. You're not unified. You're not together because you've taken your eyes off of the cross, off of the gospel, not allowing the spirit to work in you. You're trusting in the wisdom of the world and not the wisdom of God to um, empower you to live the Christian life. And he wants them to understand, like last week he, he mentioned, he wants us to understand this wisdom, this understanding comes from the Spirit of God. And he's also compared last week, if you remember, the, the, he calls him a natural person versus a spiritual person. He said the natural person um, who doesn't have the Holy Spirit doesn't, doesn't treasure the wisdom of God, doesn't treasure God's Word, doesn't value God's Word, doesn't believe the, God's wisdom found in His Word. And that's why they're called the natural man or woman. And rather, the spiritual man or woman is the one who has the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit allows us to treasure and value and believe His Word and treasure his word, and what to do the things he says in his word. So that's the context. So he's coming out of that. He set the Corinthians up, and now he's going to get a little bit more specific, I think, in their behavior. So let's start verse 1. It says, But I 
brothers. This is brothers and sisters, right? And so this is a, you know, Paul's starting off in a, in a gentle way. He's calling them brothers and sisters, people I love, people I, I consider family. Um, uh, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Okay, so babies. He's calling them babies, right? They're babies. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Even, and even now, you are not ready. Okay, he's saying, all this stuff I'm hearing, all this stuff that I've heard, it's obvious that you haven't moved on from milk. And that's an indictment on them to some degree because, yes, this church is probably about five years old when Paul is writing this, but many of these Christians in this church are two, three, four years into their, um, their faith journey, right? So they've been around a while, and Paul's like, but you're still drinking milk, you're still drinking milk, and I can't even offer you solid food. I can't offer you real food because you're still drinking milk. You need to grow up. You're being infants. You're, you're, you're babies. And what Paul's trying to do here, he's trying to give kind of two groups of people, and then he's bringing in a third here. So last week, like I mentioned, you have the people who aren't followers of Jesus. You call them natural people or, um, in this passage, merely human people. And then you have the Christians who have the Holy Spirit. Now, the people he's talking to, he's assuming they have the Holy Spirit, but what he's almost creating, and theologians call this a carnal Christian, somebody who is, has the Holy Spirit but is not, in, is not walking by the Spirit doesn't have the fruits of the Spirit. Now, I don't really think there's three classes of people in the world. I think there are two classes of people. But what Paul is trying to emphasize is, hey, Corinthians, you look more like the fleshly person, the natural person, rather than the person who has the Holy Spirit. You, you, you're babies in your maturity. And remember, they, these, these people in Corinthians, these are gifted people. These are accomplished people. They live in a society where you work your way up the ladder, you gain influence, you you gain um, joy and value in that culture by working really hard, being really smart, being a high achiever, doing all those things, and that's the way you work yourself up in society. Not too different than our society. They wanted to be they wanted to be thought of as 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 very knowledgeable, very good in rhetoric. They wanted to follow leaders around that would allow them to set themselves apart and gain influence over their peers. So when they wanted to be mature and wise, and they thought of themselves as this very progressive, very wise. And so when, they would have, when Paul calls them babies, you're infants, this would have been very offensive. Like Paul, Paul's method's working here, right? He's getting their attention by calling them infants. Yeah, they, they thought they were gifted, they thought they were knowledgeable. They thought that they knew a lot. But this wisdom wasn't from God. It was from man. And that was Paul's point the last couple of weeks. And when he calls them babies, this is a, the brilliance of Paul. He uses this metaphor of babies and infants because we all can tell from a physical perspective. We all get that when you see a baby that's like, oh, a month old, that when you see them again when they're six months old, they should grow right? They should be different, right? They should grow up. And that just makes sense to all of us. So when you see a child when they're two and you see him the next time when they're six, you expect growth. If there's not physical growth from age two to age six, there's problems, right? There's, there's something wrong. So you go to the doctor and get that checked out because something is not right. So what Paul is using this picture that we all get to get them to try to understand where they are at in their faith journey, like living things grow. Living things are healthy. They're supposed to grow. When something living is stagnated, um, it calls into question the health of that. 
the vitality of that living thing. And Paul's trying to make that point with this illustration and this metaphor of being babies. Let's keep going. Verse 3. For you are still of the flesh, kind of that, that human. You're, st- you're still acting like someone who's a natural person. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not me being merely human or being natural or being someone that doesn't have the Holy Spirit? So when you're doing, when you're, when you're, infighting and you're jealous and you're, and you're coveting and, and this is creating divisions and you want to be better than people inside the church, like that's, that's immature. Saying, stop it. Stop doing that. He says, you're only, you're behaving in a human way. I would expect that from those outside of the church, but Paul's saying, not from you, not from those who have the Holy Spirit that reveals the wisdom of God in his word. This is what Paul is trying to get at here. Now, for us, um, I want us to, to kind of sit in this a minute and just ask ourselves the question, like, what are those things that plague us? What are those things as followers of Jesus in our culture that if somebody was looking at us, they may have a tough time telling, are we, do we look more like a follower of Jesus or do we look more like a person who is a part of the culture and, and, and more of like um, just a normal person in our world? Think of your, your checkbook or your bank account. If you were to look at that, somebody was to look at that, does that look different than someone who's not a follower of Jesus? When you're at your workplace or in your class, do you, do you cut corners? Do you try to find a way to get ahead where maybe that's not the most ethical thing to do? Maybe you're so stressed out and wound up because you're not um, keeping that day of rest that God wants us to keep that you're so tired and stressed out like everyone else it seems like in our world is. Or maybe that, that, that person that, that you're dating, that, that kiss turns into to something more and something more and something more, and then you're doing something um, that is sexual and moral, yet you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe that one drink turns into two drinks, and that, those two drinks turns into a buzz, and that buzz turns into you're wasted and you're drunk. Like, what is, or maybe it's the way you talk to your spouse, or your, those of you who are, are parents, the way you talk to your kids, the way you talk to your, your roommates. Do you talk the way a follower of Jesus would talk, or do you talk the way that someone who is in the world would talk? So one of the main things about being a, a, a babe in Christ, or an infant in Christ, Paul is saying, um, is if we're jealous, we're going to create conflict. No wonder there's divisions, Paul's thinking. No wonder there's strife among you when you're jealous. You're going to try everything possible to get ahead of that other person. You're going to want what they want. You're going to cut corners. You're going to do some things that you shouldn't be doing. He said it doesn't matter how gifted you are because they were gifted. It doesn't matter how brilliant in your mind you are because they were, they, were, they were smart. These were smart people in a, in a metropolitan city. He's like, I don't care how much you know. I don't care how much even theology you know. I don't care how many Bible verses you got. If, if you can't get along with other people, if you're creating division, if you're a person of strife, then you are not mature. This is what Paul is saying in verse 3. Now, another passage that Paul has in another one of his books in Galatians speaks to this, and he actually gives us a list. I think it's really helpful when we think about this. It's Galatians 5, starting in verse 19. Now, here's Paul comparing two people, someone who has the Holy Spirit and someone who doesn't have the Holy Spirit here. Here's what he says. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. 
sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what he's saying here, if you have a life that's marked by these things, again, we all struggle in these areas, right? We're all tempted, at least in a couple of these areas. Some of these are pretty radical, but some of these are very common that most of us would probably struggle in a given week, right? But if your life is characterized by these things, then that's where Paul's saying it's, it's, he's warning us here. And then he compares that with someone who has the Holy Spirit, but he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if, if Paul was there with the Corinthians, I think he would probably go through these lists and give them an idea of, hey, here's kind of what the things look like that are of the world, and here are the things that the followers of Jesus should, should display. And who wouldn't want to be a person on that list, have love and joy and peace and patience and kindness? Like, we would all want that. We all would sign up for that. Like, Holy Spirit, please allow me to be that kind of person. But this is a great list to, to kind of check ourselves and really ask us the question, how, how am I doing in the area of love? Do I have peace? Do I have, am I a person of joy? Do I have self-control? Am I faithful? Do it, when I say something, do I do it? If I say I'm going to do something, do I actually follow through and do it? That's faithfulness, right? These are fruits of the Spirit. Okay, so as we talk about and really think about being babes and infants and growing up into maturity, Galatians 5 is a great place to go just to read it and ask ourselves, how are we doing? Are we, are we living in the, the fruits of the, the flesh or the natural person? Or are we a person that's marked by the fruits of the Spirit? And here's where kind of the warning comes in. He says it in Galatians 5, and we'll talk more about the warning at the end. But here's the warning I think Paul's trying to give us in this passage. If we look back um, on, our, on our lives, our Christian walks, over the last couple of years, like look far enough back, and we don't see progression, we don't see maturity, not in every area, but in general, if we're not maturing as a follower of Jesus, uh, Paul, I think, would say there's, there's something wrong. It's time for some reflection. It's time to, to really reflect on your life and consider, um, how, is it the Holy Spirit that's working inside of me or is it something different? Is it my, my living out of my flesh? And so Paul, even writing this book, he's trying to, to warn them and be used by God to kind of awaken them in these areas. We'll get back more to that warning here in a second. But I think to connect it back to what we talked about last week, when, when we become the focus of our growth, when we look to the things of the world to, to help us grow, because I think everyone in this room, wherever you're at with God, would say, I want to grow. I want to grow in these areas. It's, it's, it's how you want to grow. Does that growth benefit you only, or does that benefit others? Are you growing according to the wisdom of God, or growing according to the wisdom of man? Are you, are you fighting and, and grasping for that growth and at the expense of others, or are you growing through the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, let's look at verse 5. We'll go through 9. What then is Apollos? So continuing that train of thought, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Paul, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. 
He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And what Paul is saying here, somebody, some of you guys, again, were mentored and discipled by Apollos. Earlier on, he says some of you were mentored and discipled by Peter, Cephas. Some of you were discipled and mentored by me. But they were using that as a power play, as a way to gain influence, as a way to using being known by these people, being associated with these people. They thought that was going to give the, get them ahead, give them a leg up on their competition because they were all working hard and trying to be the best, be the most knowledgeable, be the most gifted in these particular areas. And so in our day and age, the only thing that maybe comes similar is something like name dropping, right? Especially in our social media world, like we're all guilty of that sometimes of kind of dropping names in there, or hey, I'm with so-and-so, or here's a picture of me and so-and-so. And so we, we do that, I think, instinctively. A lot of us do. We want to associate or unite ourselves with something that's going to give us identity. We begin to put our trust in that person or idea or thing or sports team or whatever it is, right? We unite ourselves to those things to give us value and joy. And they were stealing the honor that was deserved to these leaders. They were, it's like they were stealing their honor to use to build their own fame up. And really the root behind all of this is, is just pride. It's just pride. It's, it's arrogance. In chapter four, which we'll get to in a couple of weeks, Paul uses the term arrogant. And arrogant in, in the original language means something that's overinflated extended beyond its true size, extended beyond its natural bound boundaries, it's pride, it's arrogance. They have these massive egos. And this is the, the root of the problem with the Corinthian church. And again, back to this metaphor that Paul gives us of the baby, right? He calls them babes, he calls them infants. And, and I know this well, I have a five-week-old living in my home right now, right? So I get this, this analogy really well. Now, who are the most egocentric, self-centered people on earth? Babies, right? It's like they don't, like in just the normal world that you get love from them, you feel things from them, but it, as they like add value to the world, like in, in like an economic sense, like they, they're not bringing any value, right? Like they, they just... They, they, when they, they're hungry, they say, feed me. They don't say, feed me. They scream. They say, they're saying, feed me. If they're dirty, they're saying, clean me. If they're tired, they're saying, put me to bed. They just, it's just about them. It's all about them. And if, if an adult doesn't take care of them, they will not make it. And so they are very, very egocentric, right? And just think of if any of us, if, if I be so nice, if I could just, when I'm hungry, I could just yell, feed me. And people would come and feed me. Or I need to be clean. Hey, clean me. And you just, people would come clean, right? Or, or um, I'm tired. Do something to make me go to bed. Put me to sleep, please. Like you think about that and how egocentric kids are, right? Like we, we're like right now, we're in that real weird sleep thing. And we're like congratulating him when he, when he sleeps an extra hour at night. No one's, no one's telling me good job when I sleep through the night, right? Like, Babies are the most egocentric people, right? And so, again, he's using, in Paul's, Paul's brilliance, he's using that metaphor to communicate how, how prideful they are, how self-centered they are. These are pride-filled people with massive egos. And there are really two ways pride can manifest itself, and I think Paul is after one of those ways. He's, he's, he's kind of after the traditional view of pride. 
And it's really having a proper view of God, having a proper view of ourselves is the, the antidote or the answer to our pride. He's talked a lot about that in the first couple of chapters. Um, but he's really answering this question, this, this, this um, response of, I can run my own life. Don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me, uh, don't put authority figures in my life. Don't tell me something that I don't feel like is right. Don't tell me what to do. And, and I want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing. I want to be my own God. I want to call the shots. And if I want to do something, I don't want anybody telling me that I can't do that. Okay, this is kind of what Paul is trying to get at here by this statement. And the remedy here is found really in Philippians 2. And I want us to read this passage. This is one of the the best passages on humility in all of the scriptures. Paul, talking to a different church here, he points us back to Jesus. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if you think about it, Jesus was the only one who actually deserved to not be a servant, right? He's the perfect God-man. If there was anybody that ever lived, he was the one who said, no, I'm not going to be a servant, I'm a king. I'm God. I don't need to be served. You should serve me. But this is the beauty of Jesus, right? The God-man chooses to be the ultimate model of service. He chooses to be the model of being a servant, right? So the one answer to pride when the the classic just um, superiority complex type pride, which is what the Corinthians were struggling with, is look at Jesus. Jesus is our model. Think about the gospel, We talked about the last several weeks. The gospel levels the playing field because we didn't deserve anything. Like we're not better than anybody else in this room because we didn't do anything for our salvation. It was a gift. It was offered to us. It's not based on performance or on righteousness or anything else. So where's the boasting? There's no boasting, which as Paul said a few weeks back, we looked at. There's no boasting. So how can there be pride if there's no boasting in man? It can't exist. If you can't boast in yourself, that eliminates pride. So that's one way pride manifests itself. But the other way pride can manifest itself, and it's a little bit more sneaky, is having an inferiority complex by thinking that you're just worthless. Ah, woe is me, the victim mentality. I'm worthless. I don't have any value. Um, And there's a danger in that too, because where's the focus still? Still on you. Instead of, hey, I'm, I'm really awesome. I'm better than everyone else, superior and complex. It's I'm really terrible. I'm really bad. The focus is still on you. So having an inferiority complex is not the answer to pride. And sometimes in our world, the answer to being superior to others is, hey, you just need to humble yourself. You need to think less of yourself. And that's true to some extent. Um, but the nor- when you have an inferiority complex, if you're struggling and you're, 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 you're beating yourself up and you feel bad, what's the world's typical response? Pick yourself up. You're better than that. 
feel good about yourself. You're awesome. You're worth it. You're, you're amazing. And, and, and where do you go from there? You just swing back over to the superiority complex, right? So it's just this pendulum back and forth between um, having a lot of pride or having very little pride, but the focus is still on yourself. And in verse five here, Paul is going to tell us here, verse five, he says, he says, um, sorry, I'm gonna go back here. Verse five, what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? Servants, right? He's saying they're servants. So they're, he's not saying, hey, be inferior. He's just, he's, he's saying, know your place, right? They're servants of God. And listen, he says, servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. These are two men who had assignments from God. They weren't worthless. They weren't victims. They weren't, they weren't less than. They're just saying, we're not God. God is in a certain place and we're different, but we've yet, we have assignments from God. Then he goes on to talk about who one waters, one plants, but God gives the growth. Without a waterer and someone who plants seeds, there wouldn't be growth. Among all the other things in this, this, this picture of, of, a, of a garden that God gives us in this passage. So the planter is important. The water is important, but not more important than God. Not more important than God. And this is an assignment from God. This is something that God has called Paul and Apollos and calls us to do as we have different ministries. Now, in our culture, typically, if you want influence, if you want to gain influence, you, you go after it. You create a platform. You try to figure out a way to, to get buzz, to trend, all those things. And that's not what Paul is aiming for. He goes, I'm on an assignment for God, from God, and I'm a servant, the way Jesus was a servant. But he doesn't dismiss the importance of ministries. He doesn't. He just wants us to see that God is the source of of growth. And since he's saying, Corinthians, you're hung up on the delivery method of the message here. Focus on the message itself. Focus on God. Don't focus on who brought the message or how well the message was delivered. You're still drinking milk. Graduate. Grow up. Crave solid food, not milk. C.S. Lewis in his book, um, uh, Mere Christianity, in his chapter in Humility, talks about this idea of, of humility really is just looking at yourself less. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's actually looking at yourself less. Philippians 1.6. And this is, this is uh, kind of wrapping us up here. This is really important. This is back to the, the warning idea. I think Paul is giving us a warning in 1 Corinthians today. He wants us to feel this. But listen to this. I am sure of this. When Paul says... I'm sure, he's sure, right? That he, God, who began a good work in you, those of us who have the Holy Spirit, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You will look like Jesus one day. He's going to keep you. He's going to save you. You're not going to fall away. You can't be snatched out of his hand. His grace is sufficient. It is finished. All of those things are wrapped up in this verse. This is what he's saying here. Now, He's going to do whatever it takes to complete it. There's a little bit of the warning. Now, normally it works as the Holy Spirit whispering to us, guiding us, leading us, nudging us, being the helper, guiding us into life. But if that doesn't work, he's going to get our attention. He's, if we are his and we have the Holy Spirit, he's going to do whatever it takes to complete us in the conforming us to the image of Jesus. So if you're, he's gonna, he can take us through rough patches. He can make life not turn out the way we want it to. He can lead us into some dark, dark places. Why? Because he wants us to conform to the image of Jesus. And he says it will happen. 
So the hope there is, there's good news there. The hope is nothing can ever separate us. It's if you are in Christ, you will spend eternity with God in heaven. Period. End of story. Now that's a process though, right? Sanctification is a process. So in that process, he may take you through some places to get your attention. He may bring people in your life like he's bringing Paul into the life of the Corinthians. He's bringing 1 Corinthians in this passage into the life of Providence Road Church as a tool to maybe wake us up, to take us down this road, to conform us more to him and his image in his sovereignty. He does that, right? He does that. So nothing can ever separate us from the love of Jesus. And there's hope in this. There's hope in this. So here's, here's how we would apply this, right? There's work to be done, right? There's work to be done. Like Paul's saying, hey, you have a ministry. We need people to water. We need people to plant. We need people to do things. Yeah, God gives the growth. God's the focus here. But we all have ministries. We all have th- things we can do to extend the kingdom, how we can love other people. So don't be prideful. Set your si- pride aside, but don't, be, don't feel like you're inferior, Embrace the assignment that God has given us like Paul and Apollos have. And trust the Holy Spirit that he's going to work in and through you to, 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 to bear fruit in this world. And I think that's really, really important. I think that's going to, we're going to see more of that as we get into the book. I want to close with this. I want us to show, show this graph, um, this graphic up here. This has been one of the most helpful pictures um, in my walk with Jesus. I think I've, we've shown it here before in a sermon. Here's what this does. This really helps us with pride. It really helps us with pride. You see, moving from left to right, you have the, the point of conversion when we come to know Jesus, right? We have the Holy Spirit. And what a, a very simplified version of sanctification of our growth is one line, we understood, the line going down, we have a deeper and deeper knowledge of our own sinfulness. One marker of a person who's mature in their faith, there's a deeper and deeper knowledge of your sinfulness as time goes on, okay? And you notice, but at the same time, there's a deeper and deeper knowledge of God's holiness as time, and his character and all of those things about God. This is why we study the word. And that grows as time goes on as well. And what that middle gra- middle graphic there with the three crosses is showing that cross gets bigger and bigger as time goes on. Why? Because our, our awareness of our, we don't become more sinful, but our awareness of our sinfulness increases as we mature. And as we spend time in the Word, spend time in church, understand the character of God, we understand Him to a greater degree. So as time goes on, Jesus gets more beautiful God's grace gets bigger, more impactful. We, we begin to, to understand him at a greater level. We begin to, 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 to love him at a greater level. And that produces more fruit and, and, and more ministry and the things that God wants to, to use us for. And so this, if you need to take a picture, you can take a picture. But um, it's been a really helpful tool just daily. If I can understand the depths of my sin a little bit more, spend some time reflecting on that, but also in the same day, really at the same time, understand the holiness and the majesty of God's character and put those two things together, it just makes, it it should just put us on our knees. God, how did you, how do you love a person like me? How how does your, how does this work? Because I shouldn't be saved. I I don't deserve this. I'm wicked. I'm sinful. I, I mess up every day, but yet your grace is sufficient every day. Why? Because of Jesus and your character. And so this is a helpful tool, I think, to take the focus off ourselves in either, either way of pride that we struggle with, superiority or inferiority, and place the focus back on God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
even passages that have a, a, a little bit harsher tone, like the one we looked at today from Paul, we thank you. And I pray that um, your spirit would work in us to trust you at a deeper level. I pray that Paul, your word would be used in our lives today to, to maybe wake us up. If we're in here and we struggle with, with the kind of pride that makes us feel superior to other people, I pray you would, you would show us that. I think we could all probably raise our hands to that one. There's always an area that we're, we probably think we're a little better than we ought to in that area. And it hurts our relationships with others. So help us in that area. And for those of us in here who struggle with the inferiority stuff, where, yes, it's maybe not pride the way the world would define pride. It's still a focus on self, an obsession with self. How maybe uh, um, unvaluable we are, how broken we are. And I pray instead of sitting there and, and staying there, that we would take that to you. You would help understand that God loves that kind of person as well. I pray that your spirit would allow us to have more focus on you and your gospel and your love and less focus on ourselves. And I pray that through that, we would love each other in a, in a deeper way, that we would love our city to a greater, to, to a greater degree because we have nothing to be prideful about. And our boasting is only in you and not in us or anything we've done. So help us, spirit. Help us do that. We, we need you. We need your wisdom. We need your spirit to move in our lives. Amen.